Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hello, podcast listeners. Welcome to another episode of our podcast. We're so happy you're joining us today. If you're a new listener, a special welcome to you. Yes, welcome. You did something really special yesterday, and I think our listeners want to hear about it. They don't know it yet, but I know it, so go, go. I don't know when this is going to be published, but as of our recording this episode, I just returned late last night from... See, this was a bucket list thing, I have to admit. This is a bucket list thing for my life, to see Paul McCartney play live. And he was in Baltimore, which is just over an hour drive from where we live. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> it was pretty dang special. There were, there were mo- I mean, first I have to rewind and just say why it's so important to my person. I, I was born right before the Beatles broke up. I was born in 1969. The Beatles broke up. Um... I think late that year or early in 1970. But I I grew up with their music uh, that was always kind of in the background. And then I when I started getting interested in music as a teenager, I was interested in a lot of other bands, but I wanted to understand the roots of where the music I was listening to came from. And Mm -hmm. it just kept pointing back to the Beatles. So I started listening to the Beatles when I was, I don't know, 13 or 14. And the music just got in my in my bones and i've always been blessed by by their songs and to see him there there are moments in the concert last night where i just felt like i was i i, I don't know like the, i'm sitting in front of a, a living legend in the music yeah, world you were and of course I, I if it even needs to be said it doesn't mean i support all of you know, what the Beatles did or stand for or any such thing. And there are some kind of political statements being made during the concert that kind of made me roll my eyes. And But um, there's something about the power of music to reach the soul. And we all have a kind of soundtrack of our lives. I always encourage our students to pay attention to the music that has blessed them, even if that music might have been twisted up because the very expression twisted up means something good got twisted up. And I've had this experience over and over and over again in my life where the Lord has taken up, taken some song that was twisted up in my life and, and untwisted it for me, shown me the good in there that got twisted up. Those are moments of redemption. Music has a way, whether it's secular music or sacred music, uh, whatever, whatever music speaks to your heart, that's the language of your heart. God can use that and does use that to communicate deep things to us. And I had some real precious moments in the concert last night mm. where I just felt really ministered to in deep places in my heart. Yes. Yeah. So I, I just want to say thank you to the Lord for that gift to me to fulfill that little thing in my bucket list. Uh, it's amazing. This guy's 80 years old. Paul McCartney turns 80 uh, next week as of the recording of this podcast. And and he's up there still pouring it out in his own way. He's, he's living out what John Paul II said about making a sincere gift of yourself. 
And I really, I felt honored to be in the presence of Paul McCartney making that gift. It was really special. You know what I think is also a beautiful thing is that when you listen to a recording, you are appreciating the gift. But when you're live, you are actively receiving that gift. And, and Paul McCartney is in some measure blessed by your receptivity yeah. there. And so, so you're giving something back I by receiving it. I felt that. And he, he had a great rapport with the audience and, and even said things similar to what you're saying, Wendy, that you know he wouldn't be up there if we weren't there to receive his, his yes. gift. Mm -hmm. And it, it, in real time, there he is. I'm not hearing a recording. I'm hearing his vocal cords. I'm hearing him playing his instruments and the songs that have meant so much to me throughout my life reaching my ears and reaching my heart in real time coming from him. Yeah. It was pretty dang special. I love that. And I, I FaceTimed you yes. during Let It Be. Yes. <laughs> so you could get a little taste of it. That's right. It was pretty, uh, come on, 55,000 people. Yeah. Singing Let It Be together. Yeah. Uh, and for me, that's just a song about the Blessed Mother, you know, mm. it's her fiat. Mm -hmm. When I find myself in times of trouble, Mother Mary comes to me speaking words of wisdom. Let it be. Let it be. Let it be. Do you have any updates for us about the TUB Institute? We have some great courses we are offering this summer, summer 2022, in mm -hmm. case you're from the future <laughs> or you're listening to this podcast in the future. Right. Um, we have... Uh, well, on the time of this airing, we will have just started TOB1 online. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's a little bit not even possible for you to take it. So why am I mentioning it? I don't know. I couldn't get the timing right. Anyway, keep track of our online courses. There will be another TOB1 online coming soon. We do have, this is exciting, we have a Way of Beauty course taught by Bill Donahue in Madrid, Spain at a stunningly gorgeous retreat center up in the mountains outside of Spain. There's this cathedral there that is carved into the mountain, like like you're inside the mountain and yeah. you, the, the cathedral ceiling, you're looking at the underside of the mountain. It's it's astounding. I this, think you described that on our yeah. podcast before. Oh, did yeah. I? Because yeah. I was there last, yeah, yeah, that's right. I was there last summer mm -hmm. and I described that on, the, that's right. I do remember that. So anyway, we're, we're offering a Way of Beauty course in Madrid, Spain in early July. Uh, not too late for you to sign up and go. We know we have people all around the world who listen to this, people in Europe, uh, or even if you want to get on a plane and fly to Madrid, Spain, you will not regret taking part in Bill Donahue's course, The Way of Beauty. We have a Love and Responsibility course that I am teaching, co-teaching with Jeanette Clark from July 10th to the 15th. And we have a Writings of John Paul II on gender um, sex and marriage and the family. That's the first full week of August, I'm pretty sure. But check out the the link in the show notes to learn all the details there. Bill Dunahee's teaching that writings of John Paul II as well. It's going to be an excellent, excellent course. Mm. Are you ready for a question from a patron? Let's do it. Okay. Our first question is from an anonymous patron. Thank you, anonymous patron, for your monthly support of the work of the TOB Institute. We're so grateful to you. I recently listened to Christopher's interview with Matt Frad and was struck by a brief mentioning of a topic they discussed. I think most humans have probably all had awful, awful childhood memories of getting some sort of a stomach virus that involved lots of yucky throwing up. 
I'm no different. And to this day, absolutely dread the thought of food poisoning or stomach flu. For some, for most people, including myself, I do not think it is a psychological problem, but there's definitely something theological there, I think. I would love to hear more of your thoughts on this and why we hate that suffering so much mm-hmm. more than others that even might be considered worse. And how do we balance this healthy human avoidance and perhaps fear of getting a stomach bug with compassion for our children or family members who are sick? Wow. Okay. Well, we, we, we cover all kinds of topics here on the Theology of the Body Institute podcast. And you know what? It is related. He's, he's putting his finger, or he or she, yeah. is putting his or her finger on something very significant, that, significant, that the body is theological in all aspects. It's telling us something at a spiritual level, at a deeper level. I believe that is true. Sickness itself has a profound theological meaning. And I'll just say, just at a very practical human level, the the reality of vomiting is, I mean, who, who it's horrific. Mm. It's awful. We, we were just at a gathering of some friends. Um, we've raised our kids together over the last many, many years. And we were just on a kind of rant telling our vomit stories mm, with, mm-hmm. with our kids. And, and some of our friends, some of our friends had recently um, redone one of their kids' bedrooms, and they had to take out all the beds and pull up the carpet, and they <laughs> they saw some stains on the wall, like in the corner, from a vomiting episode on a top bunk bed oh, that man. went down the wall, and there's still stains like 12 or 15 years later yeah. or something. Oh, memories. Oh, dear. Anyway, nobody, nobody enjoys vomiting. That's just at a basic human level. But what is the spiritual significance? There's something in us that needs to be purged, right? Thank God that we have the the ability to vomit. If you swallow poison, Mm. thank you, God, for the ability to get it up and out. Uh, Vomiting is telling us that there's something in us that's not meant to be there, and it has to come out. Well, what's the spiritual corollary there? We, We all need to kind of spiritually vomit, purge ourselves of toxins, of spiritual toxins. And indeed, because of this profound unity of body and soul, I know of cases of people who are going through a spiritual deliverance, and they have the physical reaction of vomiting. Mm. Not because they have a physical toxin in their stomach that has to come up and out, but because precisely of this connection of body and soul, sometimes the body responds with vomiting when spiritual toxins are coming out. Mm. I've read of this. I've talked to to priests and exorcists who say this is common. Um, So that itself points to this profound touch point of body and soul. I'm, I'm trying to think of this is, is tapping a memory I just had recently. Who was I talking to who was sharing a story? Oh, oh yeah, we had a friend visiting us um, from out of the country, and he told me the story of going to a doctor. He was having stomach ailments, and he went to a doctor who, who finally, he went to various doctors and had difficulty with these doctors. They couldn't diagnose him properly. 
And then this one doctor started asking him about his personal life and his relationships. And there was indeed a lot of turmoil going on in his, in his personal relationships. And this doctor understood this touch point between the physical ailment and the more psychological or emotional or spiritual realities going on in his life. And that is so rare, especially in Western medicine, that John Paul II says, he says this right in the Theology of the Body, that modern science and medical technique, at least in the Western world, is based on a separation, indeed a, a, a split, a rupture between that which is spiritual and that which is physical. We reduce our humanity merely to something biological, and we fail to recognize that there are deep spiritual realities that impact and affect our bodies. So I really appreciate this question from our patron because it gives me the opportunity just to reinforce this truth of the spiritual, physical connection that we are as human beings. We are not spirits trapped in mere matter. We are a marriage of the spiritual and the physical, mm. and that manifests itself at all levels of our humanity. Mm. There was a second part to the question about if you feel this great aversion, how can you, what do you do about, uh, you know, caring for children or family members when you feel that well, Wendy, anxiety? You, you better. I'm going to toss this one to you because you are, <laughs> as I look back at our history. Yes. You typically are the one tending to our children in their vomiting <laughs> episodes. Not that I haven't done my fair share there as well, but uh, there's something about your motherly heart in particular that I've always admired and have learned a great deal from uh, that just shows itself readily, even immediately with compassion for the sick. I, I think I have to work through a, a couple steps of my aversion to get to a better place where I can tend to our children when they're vomiting. But you're right there. You're right in the action. So how would you speak into that? Oh, I'm remembering a time when one of our children had a really bad stomach bug. I'm so sorry if any of our listeners are really thrown off by this topic. <laughs> it's oh, real. I mean, this is real is family real. life here. Maybe we shouldn't stay on it too much longer. But I do remember a young child, maybe like six years old, who had had a really rough rough night. I was sleeping next to him and as he kept just having to have more and more episodes and, and toward morning, he said to me, I think I know a little better now what Jesus suffered on the cross. Oh, wow. That was a profound thought for a six-year-old yeah. to reflect oh, on gosh. the suffering. Yeah. I do think, you know, we are obviously called to care for those in our care. And it's okay to acknowledge our areas of weakness if we have a particular, you know, maybe the very uh, reality triggers, you know, a, a similar physical reaction. Mm -hmm. And so you do have to kind of navigate that. And how can you try with kindness to manage the situation while also, you know, taking care not to make it worse right. somehow? Um, but I think it's it's a perfect example of just the call to sacrifice that is way easier to do when we are motivated by love. love you know, yeah. people can make lots of sacrifices motivated by fear, by the anger or domination of someone else. That's 
also sacrifice, but when it's motivated by love, it has such, there's a consolation even for the one who's making the sacrifice. I, I didn't quite, I wasn't following there. What did you say about the domination? Or Well, I mean, you can do the same thing. You know, you could clean up vomit, for example, not because of love, but because you're afraid of a punishment oh, oh, right, or that right, kind of thing. Right. But but when it's motivated by yes, love, the same action motivated by love transforms yeah. it from within. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's what I wanted to say. Well, hope we didn't um... <laughs> hope we didn't lose all our <laughs> listeners with that topic. <laughs> Let's move on. <laughs> if you're dry heaving right now, no, <laughs> oh, no. Let's truly. <laughs> Okay, our next question is from a listener named George. Hello, George. And George says, thank you for this podcast. It has been immensely helpful to me. I'm so happy to hear that, George. It makes me smile. I'm a married man, married to a beautiful woman. I have a sensitive body that is easily aroused. This is confusing for me. It's hard to know if I'm beholding my wife's beauty chastely or not and hard to know how to live out my sexual love with my wife in daily life. I've been told that it's a grave sin to seek arousal outside of the marital act. What does the church teach about this? Where can I find the church's teaching on this? Thank you. Bless you, Brother George. Thank you for your honesty. Thank you for just putting it out there in the light. These are real human questions, real human struggles. I'm reminded immediately, George, of something John Paul II says in his book, Love and Responsibility. And hey, George, if you're able, I would encourage you to consider coming to Pennsylvania to take the Love and Responsibility course from July 10th to the 15th. Check out the link in the show notes. Shameless plug. Um, he says in his book, Love and Responsibility, a readily roused sensuality is the stuff from which a rich, if difficult, personal life may be made. That's encouraging. That's Take that to heart, brother. I really invite you to enter into that. I'm going to say it again, and I invite you to write it down and take it to prayer. A readily roused sensuality is the stuff from which a rich, if difficult, personal life may be made. Let's talk first about the richness, and then we'll address the difficulty. The richness of having a readily roused sensuality is that, again, I'm going to point to what I was saying earlier, this connection between the physical and the spiritual. A readily roused sensuality, meaning our, our senses, that which is physical and impacts us physically through our senses, gets readily aroused. Well, the body is the sign of the spirit. A readily roused sensuality is also an open door to a deep, profound spiritual sensitivity. Now, it is possible that we merely, that we stop merely at the physical level. If we stop merely at the physical level and just seek that which excites and entices or delights our senses, this is going to stifle our spiritual growth because we're not allowing the physical to take us to the spiritual. But those with a readily roused sensuality who go on the journey, and this is where the difficulty comes in, those who go on the journey of 
allowing the physical to lead to the spiritual, that readily roused sensuality becomes the stuff from which a rich personal life can be made, where we experience a deep integration between the physical and the spiritual, where encountering a flower, you know, uh, some might just see a flower and keep walking. Uh, some might not even recognize the flower, those who don't have a, a, a sensitivity to, to, to the beauty of a flower. But someone who has gone on the difficult journey of spiritual and physical integration, the encounter with the flower can be a mystical experience. Mm. Drinking a beer can be a mystical experience. A good meal can be a mystical experience. A Paul McCartney concert hmm. can become an encounter with the divine. Uh, sexual union between husband and wife is a sacramental mystery. If we're just stopping at the sensual, then you will end up using your spouse as a means to gratify sensual desires. And, and this will be demeaning. This will be a source of great pain and tension and, and even division in a marriage. But, George, if you go on the journey of allowing your readily stirred sensuality to take you into the deeper spiritual mystery, this is the path by which you will learn the way of truly honoring your wife. You will come not to rejoice less in her physical beauty or her physical body, you will come to see that which is physical as the doorway into the deep spiritual mystery that is your wife's soul, her heart. And the marriage bed will become the occasion of, of a, an experience, a tasting, a seeing, a rejoicing in the deeper spiritual mystery of her humanity and your humanity, George. How do, we, how do we make that journey? It's the Christian journey. It's the journey that St. Paul outlines in his letters when he says, those who are followers of Christ have allowed their sinful passions to be crucified. And what is he talking about, sinful passions? He's talking about those who stop merely at the sensual. Why, why is that sinful, to stop merely at the sensual? Because we will end up treating an icon, which is meant to lead to the spiritual and the divine, we will end up treating the icon as an idol. We will end up, if we're stopping at physical delights, then those physical delights become idols in our lives. We think these physical delights are what is going to satisfy our deepest hunger. And when that icon is your wife, and you are treating her not as an icon. What's an icon? It's a window to spiritual and divine mysteries. But if you're treating that icon, which is your wife, as an idol, then again, you'll end up treating your wife as an object for your pleasure. And I know just from the way you've posed the question, that's something you want to avoid. But the way to avoid it, we must continue with St. Paul here. We, why do we crucify our sinful passions? so that we too can live in newness of life. In that newness of life, what is Christianity? It is not just about the crucifixion. The crucifixion is the doorway to the newness of life that comes to us through the resurrection. 
And those who go on this way of inner purification, they come not to devalue created things, they come to appreciate them all the more because they come to appreciate them rightly. What you see of your wife's beauty now, George, will become all the more exquisitely beautiful. What you delight in right now, George, in a good meal or a good glass of wine or good music or the beauty of creation, you'll come to delight in them all the more because you'll come to delight in them all the more rightly. They will become so many sacraments, small s there, not to distinguish sacramentals from the sacraments, right? The seven sacraments are specific, but the sacramental reality of the whole universe, that's the encounter with the flower, that's the encounter with a, a bird, that's the encounter with a tree, with the waterfall, with, with the ocean, with, with all the things that God has created. All of them are meant to lead us to Him, but we have to go on that journey of purification. Wendy, um, George said at the end of his question about resources, but I, I can you reread that, something about where can I find the church's teaching? Absolutely. What does he say there? I've been told that it's a grave sin to seek arousal outside oh, of yeah, the marital act. Yeah. Uh, but keep going. What does the church teach about this, and where can I find the church's teaching on this? Okay, seeking sexual arousal outside the context of the loving exchange of husband and wife. And the key word here is seeking, right? There are things, there are moments of arousal that we're not seeking that happen to us. But if we are, with an act of our will, seeking sexual arousal apart from the loving context of a husband and a wife's affection, then we are, we are taking sexual arousal outside of its proper context. And we are stopping at the sensual. It has no possibility of becoming an expression of love in these contexts, right? The purpose of the rousing of our sensuality is to stir us into becoming a gift to others, right? And even those stirrings that come un unbidden, those too are reminders to us, I can be a gift. I am mm. called to be a gift. For example, there could be any number of occasions where you experience a sexual arousal that's unbidden. Someone could just walk past you in a grocery store and you could have a stirring in your body. Uh, rather than just thinking of it as bad and evil, and I'm not gonna think about that, I'm gonna repress that stuff, that, that's evil. No, no, no. John Paul II says, the goal of purity here is integration. That our sensual and effective reactions to another person's sexual values would be raised up and integrated with the dignity of that person. So here comes that person, you're in the grocery store or wherever, the person walks by, you have this erotic stirring, you could, you could just write in that moment, and this is a practice I've taken up for years and years, Lord, thank you for the beauty of this person. Thank you for the gift of my attraction to the beauty of this person. I recognize there's something disordered here. I'm inclined to treat that person as an object for my selfish pleasure. I don't want to do that, Lord. I give this twisted, disordered inclination to you, Jesus, and I ask you, please, untwist what is disordered in me so that I might learn how to love that person rightly, honor that person rightly, rejoice in that person's beauty rightly, be a gift to that person rightly, right? And the only context in which one can 
live out the gift of self with full sexual arousal in a way that it would be a true gift of self to the other, in a way that honors the true dignity of that other and your own dignity, is the marital embrace. Yes. We call it the marital embrace because the very language of the body in that act is I give myself to you freely, totally, faithfully, and if it is God's will, let there be life. That's the marriage commitment itself. The priest or deacon asks the couple at the altar, have you come here freely to give yourselves to one another without reservation? Do you promise to receive children lovingly from God? Do you, do you promise to be faithful all the days of your life? These are the marriage promises themselves, and the language of the sexual gift of self is one of giving oneself freely, totally, faithfully, and fruitfully. In other words, sexual intercourse is meant to be where the words of the wedding vows are made flesh. So that is the journey, that is the path of integration. Uh, George, you asked, where can you learn more about the specifics of church teaching? I would encourage you, if you don't already have it, please order my book, Good News About Sex and Marriage, Answers to Your Honest Questions About Catholic Teaching. Uh, the 200, 200, 2018 version of that book uh, was updated because of all that has changed since I first wrote that book in 1999, and it has 150 of the hot-button questions that people are, are asking about Catholic teaching, and you'll find what you're looking for, George, in that book. I just want to add, I think sometimes um, TOB students have a particular hope that somehow they won't encounter fallenness in their sexuality, that somehow by learning about God's plan, that they can be like completely purged of concupiscence before they're married. Right, right. And it can become kind of a thing that almost that people cling to a belief about themselves that they are not somehow fallen in their sexuality. And and there's pride involved there. And it, it can kind of create more problems. Yes, that we yes. certainly it's not our hope in sharing all this that anybody would end up there. But that's part of the confusing thing about being fallen human beings, that we can kind of be self-defeating in some ways. Our, it takes a humility when we encounter things in our lives that we aren't perfect. We, we do find fallenness in our uh, sexual relationship as spouses. It takes humility to cry out to the Lord for His grace. And I encourage all of our listeners if you've if you've heard many of our podcasts or other teaching, you know, on the TOB, if that has caused you to hope and hope and hope that you'll never hurt anyone or, you know, please place that burden that you're carrying to be perfect on the Lord and allow him to just assure you that even though you are fallen, that does not negate his grace. You know, in fact, it's admitting it humbly, that allows more grace to flow. Wendy, you are following the Holy Spirit's lead in saying that. It's so important that we, we realize this is a struggle that I don't care if you are the holiest person in the world. I don't care if you are 
St. John Paul II when he was alive or Mother Teresa when she was alive, both of them struggled with concupiscence. <laughs> the mark of holiness is not that you no longer struggle with concupiscence. The mark of holiness is that in that struggle, you are offering it to the Lord. And yes, we, we can say that the, the strength of the concupiscence diminishes, yes, thanks be to God. Yes, yes. But until we are perfected in the next life, in the resurrection of our bodies, we will struggle with concupiscence. And that is a call. It's right in the catechism. The catechism says, this is a call to spiritual battle. And, and I, I know I've fallen for what you're describing, Wendy, that I, I have had this impression of myself. Well, if I were just more holy, I wouldn't have the struggle. I love this line from Pope Benedict XVI. He says, because the gravitational pull towards these idols never ceases in this life. Okay, just listen to that. It, the gravitational pull towards absolutizing the things of this world, thinking that this world can somehow be the satisfaction of my yearning, that pull in that direction never ceases in this life. And then Pope Benedict XVI says, this means the call to conversion must be taken up every day and renewed every day. So don't expect that the battle itself will cease, but trust that the grace is there every day to renew the call to conversion. That's the journey. Be not afraid. Our next question is from a listener named Teresa. My boyfriend and I have been seriously dating for over a year and talk about future engagement, marriage, family life often. He has had one other relationship which lasted five years throughout high school and college, which was sexually active. We communicate very openly about sex and have decided that we both desire to wait to give ourselves to each other fully until marriage. But just the fact that he's had sex with someone else hurts me, and I feel like I've been cheated on, even though I know it was his past. I want him to look me in the eyes and cry and ask for forgiveness because his past actions have really hurt me. But is that fair for me to ask if he didn't know any better? Bless you, dear Teresa. There are so many stirrings in your heart, and I just want to assure you that every one of them is very human. Uh, if, if there's anything maybe you need to examine in your heart, uh, it's it's maybe a, a lack of forgiveness or a lack of readiness to forgive, but even there, I I I really I don't want to I don't want to put that on you as a burden because you you're it's very clear that you are honestly working through these issues, and you we have to work through these issues to get to the place where we can offer genuine forgiveness. And Teresa, I want to affirm that you are absolutely correct to feel this as an offense. It, it is an offense against your person in a very real way, and I, I talk about this at some length in the book I just mentioned, Good News About Sex and Marriage, that in a very real way, even though he didn't know you yet, uh, even though this was years ago, in a very real way, he was committing a kind of 
infidelity in advance. And the fact that you feel that is, there's not something wrong with you that you feel that. You are, you're, it means your heart is aligned with truth. Your heart is aligned with rightness and goodness. And your heart is aligned in that place with God's design for sexual union. The fact that you feel that is as an offense, again, it means your heart is aligned with, with the truth. But where there may be in your heart unforgiveness, that's where I would invite you to say, Holy Spirit, help me get to a place of releasing this man I love from any unforgiveness in my heart. And here I'm going to invite you to turn to a passage in the Catechism. I know I've referenced this many, many times over the life of this podcast because it's so important and it often comes up in the questions for me to refer people here. But it's the section in the Catechism on the Our Father. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And the Catechism says, It is not in our power not to feel or to forget an offense, but the heart that offers itself to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit turns the injury into compassion and transforms the memory of the offense into intercession. This is the journey that you're being called on, Teresa, to take that real pain. Don't pretend it's not a pain. Don't wish it away. Uh, this is a suffering. It's a real suffering. But open that suffering to the Holy Spirit and allow the Holy Spirit to transform the injury into compassion. And I notice already in the way you worded the question that this work is already underway in you. You said something, maybe Wendy, you can remind me, T Teresa said something about uh, he, he acted in ignorance or should I just forgive him because he didn't know what he was yeah, doing? Or... He, is, is it fair for me to ask if he didn't know any better? Oh, yeah. Is it fair for me to ask him to ask for forgiveness if he didn't know any better? It, it's already a sign. The fact that you said that, Teresa, is already a sign that you're letting the Holy Spirit in there and you're having compassion on him. He didn't know any better. Forgive them, Father, Jesus says. They know not what they do. So there's already this compassion underway. But let's look a little bit deeper at that word, compassion, to suffer with. You're, this man that you love was in pain, and he, he didn't know what he was doing. Compassion means to suffer with him. Something you, if, especially if this man is called to be your husband, these will be places that you will be invited with the Lord in becoming, you know, a husband and a wife. They are one another's number one intercessors. And if you are to be this man's wife, part of your call as a wife will be to carry his burdens. And not just the burdens that come up in your marriage, but the burdens that he has carried in his life. And this past relationship is one of those burdens that he carries. There's a certain burden of, of sin and disorder from that relationship that, that he carries. And if he's called to be your husband, you will be called to carry that with him. Compassion is the ability to suffer with another. Sin always causes suffering. And the suffering that his sin is causing you is one thing, 
but the suffering that his, his sin is causing himself is another. And even though they're different sufferings, they're profoundly related. And intercession becomes offering your suffering in recognition that it's related also to his suffering, and your offering of that suffering to the Lord can open for him a much deeper healing. And it may be, I'm just surmising here, I obviously don't know him at all, I only know you based on what you've shared in this question, but it seems from all that you're saying, he has not yet come to you and said, please forgive me for that. And that to me is an indication that maybe some more healing is needed in his heart to get to a place where he can recognize that that would be appropriate. And I do want to affirm, I think it would be appropriate for him at some point to say to you, please forgive me for being unfaithful to you in advance. I don't think your heart is out of line for hoping that will happen. And, and what I want to hold out to you is, I think entering into a deeper place of intercession for him in offering the pain that you feel because of this offense, opening that to the Holy Spirit, and letting the Holy Spirit turn that into intercession for Him, I believe that that can and eventually will. I don't know, of course, we don't know the timelines for the Lord and any of this. It might be 30 years from now. It might be, you know, 28 years into your marriage that He finally realizes, wow, I never asked you to forgive me for that, and I need to. It could be three months down the road that he would come to this conclusion. I have no idea, but I do know that when we pray in union with the Lord, and we know what we're asking is in accord with his will, and we do know it is in accord with the Lord's will that he would come to full healing here, you can trust that as you enter into that intercession, it will bear its good fruit. And I, I feel led here, the Lord says, wherever two or three pray in my name and ask in accord with, with my will, it will be done. So, Wendy, you and I are two, and we have however many thousands of people living, li listening to this podcast. I want to invite you all to join us in this prayer for this couple right now. Yes. Lord, we lift up Teresa and this man she loves. We lift up their relationship. We lift up this painful situation that they're going through and Teresa is feeling in a particular way. We ask for grace for Teresa to enter more deeply into intercession, opening this painful place where she feels betrayed, and rightly so, opening that pain to the Holy Spirit. We ask Holy Spirit to come into that pain in Teresa's heart, that that pain would become compassion for him in that sorrow, in that suffering that he has carried, in that sin. We ask that that pain would also become intercession in Teresa's heart for his healing. Yes, Lord. We know this is in accord with your will, Lord, and we ask it in your name. Amen. Amen. Wendy, what are your thoughts here? I'll just add that, Teresa, I'm so encouraged by your joint decision to wait for marriage, to give yourselves to one another. What a sign of grace at work in both of your lives. And that's not to say it comes from a perfect place, but still it's 
there's something really good about that. And I really encourage you as you and he possibly learn more about theology of the body to continually give thanks to the Lord for that gift and, and not to take it for granted, but to ask for the grace to live in accordance with that desire and to hold this relationship completely before the Lord, that you would not grasp onto it, that it it must fulfill you in some way, but to really desire God's will for your life and for his life, and, and that you would be praying for that together. It just increases that channel of grace when you sincerely pray that you want to live the Lord's will for your life. So clear, Teresa, that the Holy Spirit, as Wendy was saying, is already deeply at work in your relationship. A, a man and a woman in today's world does n- do not come to the conclusion that they want to save the sexual act for marriage uh, without the work of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. That is clearly a sign of grace abundantly working. And Wendy and I, I'll just add this to, we, we know those dynamics that you are facing. We had a similar situation when we were dating and engaged where I had a sexual past uh, and and it needed to come into the light. And Wendy, I just want to thank you for the ways that you have truly been my number one intercessor in these many years of married life. I have felt your intercession work powerfully to bring about mm. deep healing from deep wounds in my own life. I'm so grateful to you. It's such an honor to have that role. So it, it is yeah. an honor. I, I I feel that also just the other day I was praying for you, Wendy, and, and felt what an incredible gift to be called to be your number one intercessor in this world. What a, I invite all the married couples out there to, to really enter into that. What does that mean? That you, as a married person, are called by God to be your spouse's number one intercessor. Wow. Lord, teach us. Teach us what that means. We invite you, if you have been blessed by anything you've heard in today's episode and you're thinking of someone you know who would be blessed by it as well, hit that share button and help us expand our listeners. That's just a way of of helping this good news of John Paul II's teaching to reach more and more people out there. And keep the questions coming. We're so grateful to everyone. We're sorry we're not able to get to all the questions we receive but we do read them and we're lifting everyone up in prayer who submits those questions. If you want to have a better chance of having your question answered, consider becoming a patron of the Theology of the Body Institute. All of our patrons get a special link to submit their questions and you enter into a smaller pool to increase your chances that we might actually get to your question. This is true. Thank you, everybody. May you know it in your bones as always that you are a gift. Become what you are. Ask Christopher West is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they're not licensed counselors. If you're going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes. Oh,